All right, well, welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. Uh, we're glad that you are being a part of this, uh, either in person or via the internet or over at our campus in Stevens Point. Uh, but uh, we are uh, in the book of Genesis. We are, what we do in our Wednesday night Bible study is we uh, take a book of the Bible and we go through it, generally speaking, verse by verse, certainly in the New Testament that way. In the Old Testament, we, we cheat a little bit. <laughs> Because parts of it are really boring. But, uh, um, you know, that don't really have anything to do with anything, genealogies and stuff like that. We, we skip over that stuff. But uh, we encourage people to actually bring their Bibles with them on Wednesday nights. It's good for you to get familiar with your Bibles. And it's good for you to be able to see where we were, where we're going. You can cheat and look ahead, you know, whatever. Um, take notes, that sort of thing. So we certainly encourage that as we go through it. Um, why the Old Testament? The Old Testament is very important. Actually, uh, there's a great little verse in uh, Hebrews, the first chapter. Hebrews first chapter verses one and two. It says this: In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. That's what we're going to be seeing when we go into the Old Testament. We're going to see how God spoke to people uh, at various times and in various ways. At times, very confusing ways, and you'll see that as we go. Confusing from our point of view. Uh, you know, obviously we're a Western world, they have an Eastern culture, there are all kinds of strange things, and you'll see that as we go along. Um, but that's what God did in the past, but in verse 2 it says, but in these last days he's spoken to us by his son. So that's the difference really between the Old and the New Testament. Now, the, the book of Genesis is, uh, the Genesis, Genesis means beginnings, and uh, it is uh, really kind of given us the foundation of where we are, how did we get to where we are, um, they're taking uh, this first part of Genesis. Actually, the first five books of the Bible is, is called the Torah it, it, from the Jewish perspective. It's the law. It's, it was given by Moses. Now, there's some debate as to whether or not Moses actually wrote Genesis itself. There's pretty much uh, common agreement that he wrote the other four. There's a lot of thinking that perhaps what happened in Genesis is he took, uh, you know, compilations of uh, history up to uh, a certain point and kind of put them all together for us and uh, actually you'll see that um, because in, in, in certain parts every once in a while you'll see kind of like uh, duplicate uh, uh, what do I, I want to say uh, duplicate accounts kind of thing like in the beginning when we looked at Genesis in chapter 2, we saw all the uh, creation and God made male and female and everything. And, and uh, uh, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. And then in verse 4 of chapter 2, then it's like he skips a groove and he starts over again. He says, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. Then he goes into greater detail, uh, giving us more detail about Adam and Eve. You'll see those kind of skips and grooves in Genesis as we go along where there's kind of repetitive things. That's why a lot of Bible scholars think that what, what, they, what uh, happened was there were compila- compila- compilations that were put together, some kind of overlapping, at times some kind of confusing things that, that we'll take a look at as, as we go. Um, one of the things as we get into all this stuff is uh, there are some very, 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 very bizarre things. And we're going to start out with a very, very bizarre one in chapter 6. That's where we're at. Chapter 6, verse 1. And uh, I will share with you what I think, uh, wild guess at what some of these things mean. Uh, I will share with you what uh, perhaps other Bible scholars Say we don't we won't really spend lots of time on on things like this because they just don't matter. You know we've read uh, how Paul encouraged us in the New Testament. Don't get hung up over words and meanings and things that don't mean anything. And uh, you know if you want to have a different version of events here or what you think they mean, knock yourself out. I don't care. It doesn't matter. You know whether it means this or that. You know it has no bearing on us. At all, okay? Other than that people want to just get into intellectual arguments about stuff. And uh, so, there you have it. So let's pick it up. Chapter 6, verse 1. It says, uh, now this is uh, after Cain and Abel and, and, and everything else. And it says, now, when men began to increase in number on the earth, and daughters were born to them, The sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, and they married any of them they chose. Now, what's controversial about this is the phraseology that they're using here implies the sons of God are the kind of phrases that would refer to angels. Now, 
uh, many Bible scholars just say, well, it, it can't be angels. It has to be. And they come up with all kinds of other explanations. Who knows? I have no idea. What we do know is that the daughters of Eve were quite the babes. Okay? I mean, these were seriously good-looking women. And, uh, you know, and I, I, would, I would assume that, uh, you know, the very first woman had to be like, Ho Chi Mama, there you go, you know what I'm saying? And then the daughters were like, Ho Chi Mama to Ho Chi Mamas, you know what I'm saying? So, uh, these were gorgeous women, and uh, two ways of looking at this. One is they're just talking about other men who saw these incredibly gorgeous women and wanted to marry them. I, my guess is that's not what he's talking about, because there's no surprise there. Men have pretty much been motivated like that from the beginning of time. You know, what's, what's to write about that? The guys thought the girls looked cute. Yeehaw! We're kind of still that way, if you haven't noticed. Um, uh, so I think what they're recording here, when it says the sons of God saw that the daughters were men, were the fallen angels. Now you say, well, does that mean fallen angels? Uh, you know, can they have sex? Because Jesus says in, he- in heaven, uh, there is no marriage. Uh, that's true. He does say that. It doesn't say, he never said that they couldn't. It just said that there wasn't any. So who knows? Uh, what does it matter? It doesn't. It's just a bizarre thing here. It says uh, that the sons of God saw these daughters and they married however many of them they chose. And we're going to pick it up again in a second. But right here he inserts this one verse. The next verse it says, Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with man forever, for he is mortal. His days will be 120 years. Most Bible scholars believe that's a prophecy already of God talking about the flood that was coming. It was going to wipe them all out. Well, then it continues, this line. The Nephilim, uh, which our translation says, I think the King James, what does it say, giants? Is that what it says, giants and other things? You know, in other words, these Nephilim, these giant creatures, these incredible beings were on the earth in those days. What days? The days after these sons of God started interacting with these daughters of men. Uh, It says, when the sons of God went to the daughters of men and had children by them. They were the heroes of old, men of renown. What this is talking about, apparently uh, at this point in human history, whenever this was being recorded, there were quite the reports of these people who were like phenomenally gifted, strong people. It would be kind of like the Greeks talking about, you know, Hercules and some of these great, you know what I'm saying? And what this is, is saying that, uh, it wasn't about Hercules because this was all way before that but apparently there was these records of these incredible guys and what the record is trying to say that's where these guys came from is what he's trying to say okay apparently there were like these just incredible men that were the offspring of this very bizarre union okay if you don't think that works make up your own interpretation I really don't care it means nothing it's just very bizarre why they even reported I have no idea Uh, Then it says, the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. Now, oftentimes you'll hear people as as you try to explain salvation and and, and the law of God and why people need to come to Christ. People often argue back and say, well, you know, why is that? Why doesn't God just let people do whatever they want to do and just live by their conscience and and, and not have, you you know, that kind of thinking? Well, God tried that. This was not good for us to just let people just live by their own conscience. Apparently, people are very quick to sear their consciences and rip them out and stomp on them and destroy them. Because what eventually happened is people became so wicked. I mean, the wording here is amazing. Every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. These guys really corrupted themselves quickly. And the Lord was grieved that he'd made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. What a great description of the heart of God as he looked at how these people were behaving. And a lot of it was extremely violent, which we'll see in just a minute when they describe it a little bit more. But it was just a mess. And so the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and the birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Then all of a sudden a little skip. Here's the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight 
and so I was, you see the kind of little repetitive here thing again? That's one of those things that scholars think that it's kind of one of these little bumps here. What does it mean? It doesn't mean anything. Just helps understand it a little bit. Uh, so he starts to repeat here. The Lord, uh, Noah was a great guy. The earth was corrupt in God's sight and saw it was full of violence. Uh, so God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on the earth had corrupted their ways. Um, you know, I was in, uh, I was in Germany a, a, a few years ago. Uh, the, the U.S. Army had sent me over there to do uh, marriage seminars for some of the troops rotating out of Iraq. We had a great time with these guys. But uh, on one day where we got a chance to go out and do some uh, sightseeing and stuff, we went to one of these castles in, in Germany, and they turned it into a museum of, of torture. Uh, and you could go in and see how they tortured people back just even a few hundred years ago. And man, these people really were creative. And it was totally disgusting. And you think, man, how could people be so cruel and brutal? I mean, it's just, ah, you know, just putting helmets on you and putting screws in the helmets. And just creepy, crawly stuff. I mean, these guys... It, the whole thing was full. We actually kind of got grossed out after a while. We had to leave because it was unreal. And all I could think of was, in Noah's day, they were worse than this. I mean, no, I mean, they were full of violence. The things they must have done to each other in, in sin and in bitterness and violence and just celebrated uh, the tortures and who knows, human sacrifice, just whatever your mind could imagine, the worst, enough that God looked and was so grossed out, he couldn't stand it anymore. That's how bad it got. Okay, so he says, I'm going to wipe the whole thing out. Uh, God says, no, I'm going to put an end to all people for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both, both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. And then he gets into really a lot of detail. And it's just interesting why he would, all of a sudden it's recorded detail. By the way, the further we get from the beginning of Genesis, the more detailed it gets because it becomes more contemporary for them. Again, how far they had to look back on this and and what records they had, I don't know. But they had a lot of records here on this deal. This is how you're to build it. God said the ark is to be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. Make a room for it and finish uh, the ark to within 18 inches of the top. Put a door on the side of the ark. Make it lower, middle, and upper decks. I mean, just very, very detailed God told him to do this. He says, I'm going to bring flood waters on the earth and destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has breath in, of life in it. Everything on earth will perish. He said, why would God also destroy all the animals? Uh, hang in there with me, and hopefully we'll get to that yet tonight, but... There's a real interesting theory as, as to why it was also the animals. Um, he says, but anyway, he, here comes the judgment, okay? God's judging the earth, but wherever, uh, you know, sin abounds, grace much more abounds, the Bible says. And in the midst of this, God is showing grace uh, at the same time. He says, I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you, two of every kind of bird, two of every kind of animal, animal two of every creature that moves uh, along the ground, all the creepy crawly things, will come with you uh, and be kept alive. And you are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as for food for you and for them. And Noah did everything just as God commanded. Chapter 7. The, the Lord then said to Noah, go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I found you righteous in this generation. Take with you seven of every kind of clean animal, male and female. So, you know, you're always thinking it was just two of this, two of that. Well, actually, there were, you know, seven pairs of, of the clean animals uh, and then uh, two of just of the unclean animals. I would think unclean being, you know... Th- in the reference of a Jewish perspective, you know, like pigs and that sort of thing, which they considered unclean. Uh, A male and its mate, and also seven of every kind of bird, male and female, to keep various kinds alive through the earth. Seven days from now, I will send rain on the earth for 40 days and for 40 nights, and I will wipe from the face of the earth every living creature I have made. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded. Noah was, by the way, 600 years old when the floodwaters came. So he'd been around for a while. This is still, um, people were living very extended lifespans here. Uh, Shortly after the flood, 
the lifespans really started shortening to more like what we have today. And uh, we'll talk a little bit uh, as we go into this why that uh, possibly is. Anyway, so Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives entered the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Pairs of clean, unclean animals, of birds, of all creatures that move along, male and female, came to Noah and entered the ark. That had to be just cool. You know, he didn't actually go out and get them. They came to him. God just spoke, and all of a sudden, all these critters start climbing onto the ark. It was like, whoa, check it out. Okay? Um, now, after the seven days, the flood waters came on the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month. Look at the detail here. You know, trying to show exactly when this happened. On that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth and the floodgates of the heaven were opened. The rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On that very day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, together with his wife and his wives of his three sons, entered the ark. They had with them every kind of wild animal according to his kind, all livestock according to their kind, every creature that moves along the ground according to his kind, every bird according to his kind, everything with wings, pairs of all creatures that have the breath of life in them came to Noah and entered the ark. The animals going in were male and female of every living thing as God had commanded Noah. Then the Lord shut him in. Pretty cool when God shuts the door. Uh, So for 40 days, the floods kept coming on the earth. As the waters increased, they lifted the ark high above the earth. The waters rose and increased greatly on the earth. And the ark floated on the surface of the water. They rose greatly on the earth, and all the high mountains under the entire heavens were covered. The waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than 20 feet. Kind of an interesting statement there. The waters weren't 20 feet deep. What it was saying was the highest point of the mountains were at least under 20 feet of water. That's how high this was. Um, uh, now, it's real interesting because in, in virtually every uh, ancient culture, uh, regardless of their background and what they thought of God and stuff like that, they all report that at one time there was this traumatic flood that came. I mean, this is something that actually happened. Now, some debate. Was it literally the entire earth or was it just uh, that area of, you know, of the world where mankind had lived? Obviously, men have not spread all over the place. Um, you know, um, it's interesting. There's, there's evidence of flood everywhere. But remember, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was what? Formless and void, and waters covered the face of the, face of the deep. So the, we already know there's evidence of a major flood literally all over the world. Did this actually happen uh, just in this flooded area? or over? Who knows? All we know is that everything that was alive got killed, drowned. All right? So, we see that in verse 21. Everything that uh, moved on the earth perished. Birds, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that swarm over the earth and all mankind. Everything on dry land that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. Men and animals and the creatures that move along the ground and the birds of the air were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. The waters flooded the earth for 150 days. So it rained for 40 days and 40 nights, but that's how long the waters flooded the earth for an additional 150 days. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark, and he sent a wind over the earth, and the waters receded. So here come the waters coming down. Now the springs of the deep and the floodgates of the heavens had been closed, and the rain had stopped falling from the sky. The water receded steadily from the earth. At the end of the 150 days, the water had gone down, and on the 17th day of the seventh month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. Uh, Very specific here, showing you where exactly this ark landed, on the Mount Ararat. Now, this is an actual mount uh, located in Turkey uh, to this day. And uh, every once in a while, you'll hear of people who who go up there trying to find evidence of the ark. Apparently, it's up there somewhere. Uh, they can never find I can imagine that for 7,000 years. You know, it's probably a little buried by now. But uh, every once in a while they think they've found it or uh, they've got, I don't know if you've ever seen some of these documentaries, you know, where there was a lot of melting in the ice cap and all of a sudden they saw something that looks like a, sh- a boat or something and went and tried to figure it out. Uh, but to this day, no one I think has ever really found it. But that's where it's supposed to be. Uh, the waters continue to recede. So, so it lands. Okay, finally it hits dry ground. 
Uh, but he didn't come running out of the ship at this time. Uh, the waters continued to recede until the 10th month, and on the first day of the 10th month, the tops of the mountains became visible. So now you can see the other tops of the mountains all over the place. After 40 days, Noah opened the window he had made in the ark and sent out a raven, and, kept, and it kept flying back and forth until the water had dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove to see if the water had receded from the surface of the ground. But the dove could find no place to set its feet because there was water all over the face of the earth. So it returned to Noah and the ark. He reached out his hand and took the dove and brought it back to himself in the ark. He waited seven more days and again sent out the dove from the ark. When the dove returned to him in the evening, there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So already signs of life. So what's interesting is the whole time he stayed in the ark. You know, I mean, uh, after, can you imagine, by the way, Man, that, you know, I don't know if you've ever just been in a barn, but in a barn for this long is just, you know, I hope they were throwing stuff overboard is all I can tell you. But, uh, uh, but, but can you imagine the ride that they went through? I mean, I don't know if you've ever gone, uh, you know, on a cruise or something. The water gets a little crazy and things like, ooh, 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 you know. I was on a cruise in Alaska last year, and man, it got rough. And the things that, you know, people are walking all over the place like that. The only people walking straight were the drunk people. They were, you know, it was working for them somehow. But, uh, <laughs> um, you know, and they have stuff that, you know, balances out. So can you imagine no balancing and that kind of water and the rock and rolling they had to take? You know, when that thing landed, they were still freaked. Uh, you know. It took them a while before they felt safe enough to come out of there. That had to be quite the traumatic experience. Um, so anyway, uh, verse 13. By the first day of the first month of Noah's 601st year, the water had dried up from the earth. Noah then removed the covering from the ark and saw that the surface of the ground was dry. By the 27th day of the second month, the earth was completely dry. Then God said to Noah, come on out, guys. You, your wife, and your sons and their wives, bring out every living uh, creatures that is, are there with you, the birds, the animals, all the creatures, blah, 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 so you can multiply on the earth and be full, fruitful and increase in number. So Noah came out together with his sons and his wives and his sons' wives and all the animals and the creatures, and they keep using that phrase over and over again. Uh, verse 20, the Lord built an altar to the Lord, no, uh, then Noah built an altar to the Lord, taking some of the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. Now I think that's a little odd. Because you just saw everything destroyed. You've only got so many critters. And now you're taking a few and you're chopping them up. As a sacrifice to the Lord. Okay, but that's what they did. And uh, I think, you know, wait till you get some other critters. And then maybe, I don't know, maybe they already had some extra ones. But So they take some of the animals and they sacrifice them. And it says, the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of man, even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, God said, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. As long as the earth endures. Well, there's a day coming when all of this is going to flame up and it'll all be over. But uh, what he's basically saying is... uh, you know, this was a major, major, major. I, I, you know, we're just getting bits and pieces of it. And, and, you know, I just read to you in just a handful of verses a major traumatic event uh, in the history of, of mankind that was on the earth. This, how bad it had gotten, uh, I think, would just escape all of our minds to conceive of how violent and wicked these people were and, and, and the destruction that came as a result of this severe judgment uh, to destroy the earth. And uh, then that, continuing on, it says, chapter 9, verse 1, Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. And then we have now, finally, a, tr- a, a dramatic change that is happening here. Something really shifts. Uh, I think I shared with you uh, a couple of weeks ago when we first started this, uh, there are people who theorize these. Who knows? Nobody knows. But uh, that during the first time when God rolled back the waters and, 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 and put life on earth and created man and stuff like that. A lot of people believe that uh, the earth was encompassed in, in this great, uh, you know, uh, shield of, of, of 
moisture and stuff like that. That did several things. One, uh, it kept everything very much like a garden-like atmosphere all over the, all over the world. Uh, and it shielded out the harmful rays of the sun. Uh, they assume if, there, if such a thing did exist, the barometric pressure on the earth would have been much higher than it is today. And they still have... Uh, They'll put people in chambers where they increase the barometric pressure just because that it actually speeds up healing. People, if you cut yourself in a, in, a, in a barometric pressure, you heal much faster than otherwise. All of these things to lend to why men live so long. It was the perfect environment. Okay, that's why they lived for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Uh, there wasn't cancer. There weren't these diseases. There were, you know, they were shielded from the sun. There, everything was this perfect Disneyland environment uh, on earth. Then comes this catastrophic event where God brings judgment on the earth. What some believe is what God basically did was collapse this massive uh, shield of moisture around the earth. uh, Massive rains and all this kind of stuff. It finally goes back. Well, now things are different. And the uh, environment is different. The the, uh, uh, environment to feel even on the face of the earth is different. We'll see from here on, even though initially some of these guys live pretty long, but it's not long until Abraham comes along and, you know, he doesn't live for 500 years or anything like that. Their lifespan shortens dramatically and stuff. But now something is really different. Up to this point, if you remember, mankind only ate vegetables, only fruits and vegetables and, and, from, and from the ground. They weren't allowed to eat uh, meat. They, they were all veg- vegetarians. That's the way it was in the beginning. Um, but then it says here, God, something dramatically has happened. There's been such a change in the environment, if you will. It's like it's a different world. Different rules are in play now. And for some reason now, God says now you need to eat animals. You know, perhaps, uh, you know, whatever nutrients came from the world before this point... Uh, gave them all the proteins and everything that they needed. Now it's not going to be enough, though some vegetarians would argue with me about that, but don't write me. Because um, uh, <laughs> I won't read it. But, uh, you know, that uh, now you need to eat meat. So it says here, it says, Now the fear and dread of you, of what? Of mankind, will fall upon all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air, upon every creature that moves along the ground and up, along and upon all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, now I give you everything. So now it's a different game. Something has really changed now. Okay, you get that. This is really dramatically different. Now it says, the fear and dread of you will fall upon all animals. Uh, And... uh, so it implies that animals did not feel that way. I mean, you know, you look at animals in the wild, they'll hang around each other, this, that, and the other, assuming wasn't going to eat something. But as soon as a human being walks in, what happens? They take off. It's been like that since this day. Apparently before that, it wasn't like that. That there was a much more... Again, this is pure theory, and it means... Nothing. But uh, I want to share it with you anyway. Uh, it's just kind of fun. Uh, apparently there was much more uh, a sense of community, if you will, between mankind and the, the animal world. Okay? What was it like with these animals? I don't know. You know, were they all like, you know, what's that uh, show where he talks to the animals, walks with the animals, doodle. Maybe they're all like Dr. Doodle and they all could talk to the animals. I have no idea. I do know this. In the beginning, a serpent walked up, started talking to Eve, and she talked to him back. Now, I don't know about you. If my cats start talking to me, I'm freaking. All right? I'm like running out the door. Ah! But so could they talk before? I don't know. I know the serpent talked. What? Uh... To what point? All, all I know is it is really different now. And stop and think. Remember, in the beginning, God told, when he first saw Adam, said, you need to find a mate. He, first place he went to check out was all the animals. Which is really gross, you know. But I mean, you know, just to see, you know, is there something among here? But I, I think there was a greater bonding, if you will, between mankind and, and the wild creatures. There was, there was this great fellowship. Uh, that day will come again. Uh, 
the Bible talks about when Jesus comes back and, and uh, returns to this earth. And, uh, and by the way, when he comes back, it's not just going to be boom, judgment. I mean, he's going to come back, kick some butt, take over. But uh, he's going to set up a thousand years of rule on the earth. And for a thousand years, uh, things are going to be more like they were in the beginning. It says the lion will lay down with the lamb. There won't be any more of this stuff. Uh, but uh, anyway, all I know is from this point, everything's changed. All animals are afraid of you. You have permission to go eat them. And they know that. And uh, pretty wild. Uh, but you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. And, uh, and uh, that, this is one of the earliest signs of um, you know, this rule that was in the, the Mosaic Law that you can't eat things with blood. Uh, you know, when you sacrifice an animal, you kill an animal, you need to drain its blood out and stuff like that. And you'll remember that when we studied in the New Testament about should they obey the Old Testament law, what they basically said was, well, look, just avoid... Uh, you know, things to avoid idols, avoid uh, sexual immorality, and avoid blood. Don't eat blood. Don't drink blood. You say, well, that's kind of gross. Um, actually, there's cultures where they do that. They actually drink blood. I don't, in some places, they have blood pudding. I remember when I was in Europe, you could buy blood pudding. I passed on that. Uh, but, but, but it's one of the things you're not supposed to do. And, and they went back because this is so, this is way before Moses ever showed up. This is before we have Abraham. This goes way back. God said, don't be into the blood thing. Now, it doesn't mean you can't have a medium rare steak or something, but, you know, you take an animal and, and that, that you don't uh, uh, kill the right way and you, you actually strangle it instead of letting it bleed out. It's, ugh. Anyway, we're not supposed to do that. Uh, and for your life, blood, I will surely demand an accounting. Now, here we see another shift in the rules. Remember what happened with the first murder? Did God kill Cain? No, there was not capital punishment right away, okay? And some other guys who got away with some stuff, they, they, they had punishment and God dealt with them, but they wasn't killing them. Well, now he's, he's about to change the rules concerning that. For your lifeblood, there will be, uh, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal. Very bizarre statement here, uh, that God will even hold animals accountable that kill people. I don't get it. don't have the answers. Uh, from, and from each man too, I'll demand an accounting for the life of his fellow man. And then he puts this new rule in. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God, God has made man. So now we have capital punishment instituted. And I think I mentioned to you before about the whole capital punishment thing. Um, there are people, obviously, who believe this verse and, and the teachings of the Old Testament and believe in capital punishment. There are a lot of Christians who claim that because we've been redeemed by Christ and set free from the law and, and, and in a sense Christ has made things like it was before, more like before the fall, that we shouldn't have capital punishment. You should just punish people. It's a debate that people have back. They both have some biblical grounds actually to wrestle this out. So knock yourself out there. Uh, my advice is just don't kill anybody and you won't have this problem. Uh, as for you, he tells uh, them, be fruitful and increase in number, multiply on the earth and increase upon it. So now we have the new ground rules, they become meat eaters, the, the, the culture, the environment of earth has shifted dramatically after this incredible event, after this flood. Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, I, will, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. And with every living creature that was with you, the birds and the livestock and the wild animals and all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on, on earth, he's establishing a covenant. He's making a deal. He's making a promise to them. And this, by the way, is a unilateral covenant. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of the covenants or deals with God are very conditional. In other words, God will forgive you if you repent. He'll draw closer to you if you draw closer to him. I mean, there's a lot of conditions. You know, God will bless you if you'll give. You know, that kind of stuff. Uh, but then there's some things that are just absolutely unilateral. God says, I will do this. I don't care what you do. And God gives a unilateral covenant here. And uh, he says, I, I established my covenant with you. And this is the unilateral covenant. Ne uh, never again will all life be cut off by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. So uh, after this incredible gut-wrenching experience and talking about how the heart of God was in pain. I mean, how does God have pain? I mean, this, this, is, this was really... Awful stuff. Uh, God promises that this won't happen again. 
And God said, this is a sign of the covenant I'm making between you and me and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I've set my rainbow in the clouds. And it will be the sign of the covenant between you, me, and the earth. Again, theory, pure theory. Who knows if this theory is true? But that's what they're saying that because of the atmospheric changes and stuff, now you see things like rainbows. This is the first time you actually would see stuff like that. I don't know. Who cares? Okay, moving on. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between you and me and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears, I will see it and remember. Verse 17. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on the earth. Uh, It's very interesting to read, and this is one of the reasons why I kind of saying we're going to skip and speed up in spots. Do you see how repetitive they write? And they say it, and then they say what they said, and then they say it again, so you heard what they said, and then they remind you what they said by saying it three or four more times. I get it. Rainbow. No more water. Okay? So... But, uh, you know, so forgive me if I speed over some, but it's just, they just keep saying it over and over and over and over and over again. It's uh, just the writing style of, of this time in, in human history. Okay, so anyway, the sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. Why is that interesting? I'll show you in just a minute. These were the three sons of Noah, and from them came the people who scattered over the earth. In essence, Noah becomes the new Adam. Okay, so everything starts from these guys now because everybody else is dead and they start all over again. Noah, as a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of its wine, he became drunk as a skunk and lay uncovered inside his tent. That's the Bible way of saying he was buck naked. All right? So he wasn't just naked, he was drunk naked. Now, how drunk one has to get before one is walking around completely naked, I have no idea. Because I have never been there. Uh, but um, apparently that's what happened here. So anyway, now check out this, this, this account. Ham, the father of Canaan, we'll pick on Canaan again in just a second, uh, saw his father's nakedness and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it across their shoulders and walked in backward so they wouldn't see their father's nakedness. And covered their father's nakedness. Their faces were turned the other way. So that they would not see their father's nakedness. So Noah awoke from his wine. (laughs) uh, Eventually. And found out what his youngest son had done to him. And he said. Cursed. Be Canaan. Now if I were Canaan I'd be going. What? Why me? What did I do? I didn't do anything. It was um, Ham who did this. Now he said, what's the big deal? So he walks in, he sees Pop naked, you know. Uh, Apparently, there had to be more to it than what we're seeing here, but the the very strong implication here was that he was very disrespectful. He came in, he saw Dad buck naked. If he would have just shut up, that would probably have been the end of it. You know what I'm saying? But he comes back and he tells his two brothers. So obviously, he's laughing and he's ridiculing his father. And uh, these guys, again, different culture than we live. You know, this is a whole different time. But uh, you do not uh, embarrass or ridicule your father. This is a big, 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 big no-no. The other guys were respectful. They didn't look. Ham apparently embarrassed the dad. And for that, he should have been punished. But he didn't punish him. He didn't come out and say, cursed be Ham. He comes out and says, cursed be Canaan. Who did nothing. Now, you look at that and you think, why is that? I don't know. I'll I'll give you some possible theories. One being that this was a greater punishment to Ham to curse his son. Something maybe, again, in Eastern culture they would think in those terms. Any of you who are fathers or mothers think, boy, you want to get to me, get to my kids. And and from that standpoint, you would understand it. But the curse came not on Ham, but on his son, his youngest son, Canaan. And uh, so he said, cursed be Canaan. So he goes right, curses his own grandson. But gets to the dad for his punishment by going after the child. 
And uh, how sad for the child, obviously. Cursed be Canaan, the lowest of slaves he will be to his brothers. He also said, blessed be the Lord God of Shem. May Canaan be the slave of Shem. May God extend the territory of Japheth. May Japheth live in the tents of Shem. And may Canaan be his slave. Uh, So, there you have it. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. Altogether, Noah lived 950 years. And then he died. Okay, now, chapter 10. We're not going to read chapter 10. Because I don't want to. I can't say all these words. But uh, (laughs) I'm just like, holy stinking cow, what kind of names are these? But uh, um, what is going on here is uh, they're, they're starting to give some of the genealogies. They were very specific. I mean, again, if you follow this stuff back, you can literally count the generations all the way back to Adam. According to the Bible, the earth, since the time of, not how old the earth is, the earth could be billions of years old for all we know, because as implied in the beginning, all we know is that the earth was covered with water, the implication that something traumatic had happened before that, that's probably when all the dinosaurs lived, you know, who knows, some people say the dinosaurs died in the flood, some people thought, think the dinosaurs were on the ark, I, you know, it'd have to be a big yo mama ark to pull that off, but I think it was all before, um, you know. Anyway, but, but when we go back to Noah, it's about 6,000 years. The Bible's very specific. Exactly who was who, how long they lived, when the sun was, how old they were, when the sun was born, da 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 which you can follow and at some point pick up and, and extrapolate out till today. So it's, it's really fascinating. Now, why are the genealogies are so important? What, what they're really trying to do um, with, with Genesis here, uh, as... as Apparently Moses, is his assumption, you know, uh, compiled all of this stuff together. All of it is to show how God got to one family. Really one family, Abraham. And what we're trying to see where Abraham came from. Because from Abraham, God began blessing and prophesying and, and promised that the Messiah would come through that line. That's where you get Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and you get uh, Moses, and then the Jewish people, and and then eventually uh, King David, and and then eventually Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God. So uh, that's why it's really important to show where, how all this happened. So anyway, let me just point out a couple of uh, interesting things. Um, There was a guy at verse 8. His name was Cush. He was the father of Nimrod, uh, again, I wouldn't call hey Nimrod, but uh, he was the father of Nimrod. Apparently, Nimrod grew to be a mighty warrior on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. And he says, that's why it is said, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. Again, when this is compiled, there were sayings that were in existence at that time. And he says, that's why the saying exists. Just like we have sayings today, you know, whatever bizarre little sayings that we have. He says, that's where the saying comes from, because it's talking about Nimrod, who was this incredible warrior type guy that's what he was known for there you have it um so we we read about the jeff jephthahites and then the hamites and then the sons of these three sons okay japheth ham and shem shem was the father of the semites that's where you get the phrase anti-semites because it was from this son that eventually the line of uh Abraham came, the Jewish people, and are referred to as Semites. And if you hate Jews, you're considered to be anti-Semitic. That's where it all comes from. Interesting stuff. Um, one real interesting, bizarre little thing I just want to point out to you. Um, he's going through this list of people. At verse 25, he says, Two sons were born to Eber. One was named Peleg, because in his time the earth was divided. Now, there's another uh, Statement, I believe, in First Chronicles, where it talks about at the time that the earth was divided. Um, just to throw this theory out to you, I don't think it holds a whole lot of water. But uh, there are some people that, if, if you've ever, have you ever looked at a map of the world? If you look at it, it's like it's a big puzzle that's been torn apart. You know, like like uh, you know the. Uh, I do this backward for you, but you know how South America kind of comes out like that or whatever, and Africa is like just the opposite. Like you could take that and fit that piece into that. And actually, if you look at some of the continents, it's, it's like if you squeeze them all together, they fit like a puzzle. Uh, so some people say this verse is referring to a time when God divided 
the earth and and that's how we got the continents where they are today interesting theory i i would just think if that's what they're talking about they'd give us a little more detail you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's kind of a big, right? It's kind of a big deal here. And just a passing comment. Oh, yeah, that's one that's worth all split up in bits and pieces. Whoa, whoa, what? You know, I, I think I want a little more detail on that. Again, theory. Does it matter? No, it doesn't matter. But that's where you'll, you'll hear some people talking about uh, that little thing. Anyway, after all of this, it says, these are the clans of Noah's sons. In verse 32. These are the clans of Noah's sons according to their lines of descent. Within their nations. From these the nations spread out all over the earth after the flood. Then let me do this little piece here and then we'll quit. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. Really? Because if you look back to where we just were. Let me jump here real quick. Verse 5 in chapter 10. After giving all the, the Jephthahites thing. From these the maritime people spread out into their territories by their clans with their nation. Each with its own language. Really? And then at the end of the Hamites. We see this at verse 20. These are the sons of Ham by their clans and languages in their territories and nations. And then at the end of the Semites. Um, verse 31. These are the sons of Shem by their clans and languages in their territories and nations. And then all of a sudden... The whole world had one language and a common speech. This is the kind of stuff that you get people who, you know, who are looking for any reason at all to dismiss the Bible. The Bible is full of contradictions. Contradictions, you know. One minute says they all got different languages. The next part says they don't know what they're talking about. Okay, how do you explain it? Well, uh, again, based on uh, the way a lot of the stuff is being put together, they're like taking little chunks and, and pop them in. Some are repeating. Some, you know, uh, may not exactly be in the perfect order, actually. Uh, because w- what happens here is if you consider what, they, what he does is he stops and he gives the entire clan for many generations um, that might have most likely had existed after what we're about to read about, which is the Tower of Babel. But it's just placed here, going through all the things, talking about how the language and they all want up whatever, and then they kind of back up and say, okay, now here's what happened at the time. Okay? You know. Again, there are people who will look for anything they can, throw stuff at you, uh, and talk about things that just don't matter. Again, this is high on the list, you know. But we need to talk about it. These are things that from time to time you might get thrown at you because apparently that list of genealogies goes out past what we're about to read here now. I don't see it as a big problem or a big contradiction, but they might throw that at you. Anyway, so there you have it. So uh, after talking about this big thing and how they all went different languages, he stops and says, Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. And they said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Uh, Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered all over the face of the earth. Actually, they were wanting to do the opposite of what God told them to do. What did God tell them to do? Go scatter all over the earth and fill the earth. And these guys said, let's not do that, man. Let's all get together. And and we can be really incredible if we all stick together. And, uh, and indeed, that's true. It says, but the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. And the Lord said, as if one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible to them. Um, fascinating thing that God would say. If people were all on the same page, they could do anything. It, it's a great thing for the church because the church... Even though we're so diverse, we should be the one group of people in the world that really do all get on the same page. That's why the Bible in the New Testament says, be of one heart, one mind, one accord. Why? You get there, you can do anything. If we as a church ever get to that point where even though we don't all agree on anything, but we're one heart, one mind, one accord on on the basic things that motivate us, there's great power in that. But anyway, so God says, look, these guys are all coming together. They're going to be really united. There's nothing to be impossible to them. So he breaks them up. Uh, so the Lord scattered them. Oh, I'm sorry, verse 7. Come, down, come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. 
So the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth and they stopped building the city. That's why it is called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world and from there the Lord scattered them over the face of the earth. Why would God now intervene to stop them? Because he didn't before and it became a disaster and they were all of one mind and one accord and they were violent and wicked and stuff like that and God basically sets this new covenant. I'll never do this again but... You know, but we're not hearing God saying is I won't ever let this happen again. And right there he steps in. Again, mankind coming together probably to become who knows what, some disgusting, violent thing again. He comes, confuses their languages. And they've got to go scattering everywhere so that we avoid this, this monolithic, insane culture that became so violent and, and disgusting before the Lord. Okay, are y'all having fun at all with this? I know it's it's uh, it's it's different. It it gets it gets better, you know. <laughs> but uh, but I warned you, you know, it's it's uh, there's parts of it that really whoa whoa whoa. But yet there are some phenomenal things. A lot of what sets up the Bible to be the Bible that why we believe what we believe all happens in Genesis. And we're just getting there. Again, he's just setting up the stage of how you get to Abraham. And then what happens when God starts promising the Messiah to come from there. And a lot of good stuff that you can learn through this. And and again, we'll try and skip over the stuff that doesn't matter too much. Um, Okay, I'm done. Uh, Let's have our ushers come forward and we'll close with our offering. And uh, the musicians can come back up uh, for the offertory. We appreciate your continued support of the church. Uh, I know a lot of people come this is your only chance even to give because you work on Sundays or whatever some people actually come to the service instead of Sundays because they really like the extended Bible teaching as opposed to my little brilliant sermonettes actually I think you should love them all but uh, but it's cool I'm, I'm good with it so uh, this is your chance to give and, and we appreciate you doing that let's pray father we thank you for your goodness your grace thank you that you love mankind Lord if I had been you I'd have just squished a, a whole lot <laughs> just started but you love you never gave up on people and we thank you for that so much so that you eventually sent your son to redeem us from the curse and the destructive power of sin thank you that you never give up on us even in our individual lives you still don't give up on us no matter sometimes we do the stupid things we do or get in the wrong paths and stuff like you're always there always calling us back always reaching out to work and move in our lives. And we're so grateful for that. And Father, we're grateful for all your blessings financially in our lives. And now we give back a portion of that which you have blessed us with. Use this money for the advancement of your kingdom, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen.